the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Nine five nine. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. to that
Oh. 
says, why not turn around? You can't get any farther. You're just losing ground. But I'm not giving up. No, I'm not turning around. By the grace of God. me 
start today, but we have a lot we want to share with you. They had technical difficulties at WAPA. They were finally resolved, and we're ready to go. I'm glad you're here. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel, and with me in studio is my wife. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Alexandra, and we're from the National Prayer Chapel. If you if you intend to prevail in prayer, you must first renounce all of your sin. You must not only recall them to mind, you have to repent of them. That is, you must renounce them, you must turn away from them, you must leave them, or you're never going to find that answer to prayer. Now, the purpose for our broadcast today is to help you prevail in prayer. Now, it's obvious that's not a topic the devil wants us to deal with. But it is what we want to deal with. It's what Jesus is calling us to deal with. And so, let me try to open the door and then we're going to share some very serious content with you many Christians that I speak with do not pray very much they may whisper a little prayer uh, they may pray publicly but they don't spend hours a day praying why because they don't hear anyone answering them. It seems they pray and nothing happens, so why should they pray? That has to change. The communication between earth and heaven is the prayer line. And we have to know how to access that prayer line. We have to know how to reach God with our petitions and our prayers. Now, what happens is most people 
try to pray. Nothing really happens. But then they didn't really expect anything to happen anyway. But for them, it was a bit of catharsis. They were able to get a little bit of feeling out. And they were able to feel good because they could say, I said my prayers. Well, we're not interested in you saying your prayers. We're interested in you talking with Jesus, the person, Jesus. We want you to be able to go into the prayer closet and pray in such a way that sin will not stand in your way and not block your prayer and not short-circuit. I mean, we just went through a very interesting exercise where the device we use, a Comrex, to communicate with Weva, when we, on our computer screen, looked, it said, timed out, not connected. Well, that began a whole panic process of discovering why on Weva's end were they not receiving our transmission. And they discovered that the line was down. Now, we could sit here today and we could do a full broadcast, but if they're not receiving us, it doesn't go over the air. You can pray all you want, but if it's not connected to heaven, there will be no answer from heaven. There has to be a connection. And what I shared at the very beginning Sin breaks the connection with heaven. And the only way a sinner can be connected with heaven is to repent of his sin and not continue to walk in it, but turn from it. Now in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and I urge you to read carefully Hebrews 3 and 4, indicates that there is the promise of entering into the rest of God. What is rest? It's cessation. It's stopping. But it's more than that. It's bedroom. It's place where you repose for the night. He's saying there is a place of repose that we can enter into with God, where we can have absolute confidence that our prayer was heard and our prayer will be answered. Now, let's talk about some of what God requires. Yes, so if you recall, last Thursday we spoke on the subject of prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer is simply prayer that God answers. So we find it in James 5.16, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And as Pastor Ray is saying, you indeed have to be righteous, as in you're not committing sin. But there's more to it than that. So we really want to get into a lot of teaching on prayer we hear is something along the lines of just believe, just keep praying. Well, we're going to get like a lot more specific today so that you can actually pray in faith. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is why does God require such agonizing prayer. If you haven't listened to the message, go to nationalprayerchapel.com and click on prevailing prayer under latest sermons. 
you'll hear a description of the agony that has always taken place in prayer in every major revival. These men and women of God have spent hours a day on their knees, on their faces, walking, standing, but they've been in a true agony of soul for God to come in revival power and for the lost to be saved. So this raises the question, well, why does God require us to go through this agonizing process? Why can't we just pray and God answers right away? Well, there's a couple reasons, right? And this will help encourage you, as Jesus said, to keep praying until God answers. So one of the first reasons why God requires this kind of agonizing prayer, or what the scriptures call travail of soul, it's the same word used for a woman who was in childbirth. That's the kind of pain and labor that we go through. The first reason why God requires this prayer is because that's actually the strength of God's feelings for the lost. So you can imagine God is infinite, and the strength of his feelings are literally greater than we could even possibly receive without dying. But when we enter into this place of agony of soul, God is actually putting his heart and his feelings for impenitent sinners in our hearts. And what this results in is just an incredible strength of love for souls that Christians feel. And it's through this that we really see the love of God for souls. Let's take a minute and talk about that spirit of benevolence for the loss that comes into our heart. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come quickly. What happens is if I were to see a family being burned in my neighborhood in their home and we couldn't go rescue them, but I heard the shrieks, I saw them dying, my heart would be so moved with compassion for them, I would weep for them because they're dying. They're precious neighbors. So our feelings are aroused by seeing something, by experiencing something. They don't just flow while I'm sitting in my study reading the newspaper, which I don't do. But if I were to, you know, you'd peruse through the newspaper or you would look at the internet and you'd say oh that's interesting and that's interesting okay I've got work to do I'm going to go back to work here's the problem we all have feelings we all have love come into our hearts but those feelings are quickly drained away if I'm sitting in my study in my place of prayer and there's an urgency in my heart and I'm crying out to God and I walk out of the house because I have an appointment and I go get in my car and I turn the radio on what will happen to those feelings what will happen to that compassion well it's going to dissipate it's going to disappear so In our culture, we have so many things to drain away our 
feelings of compassion for the lost that we basically today in the church have no feelings. Yes, but we need to have these feelings because those feelings are the fuel in the prayer closet. So again, these feelings are the same feelings that God has. And as Ray has just said, they're also just natural results of if you truly begin to think about the state of sinners. I mean, as he said, we would be very distressed if we saw someone, our next door neighbor, if we saw their house burning down and we said, are they still in the house? You know, we would be very alarmed and try to help. Well, how much greater is the danger of someone who is still sinning? They're under the condemnation and wrath of God, and that's an eternal torment that they're facing. Now, another reason why God requires us to go through this agony in prayer is because when we feel this burden in our soul, we won't stop praying until we find relief. We've sometimes referred to this as praying through. That's what the old timers call it. So God rolls this burden for the lost, usually like for specific people you know. He rolls that burden on you so that you will actually pray and exercise faith that he can answer. Unless you allow that to be dissipated by the activities of the day. Right, but don't do that. That would just be foolish. Cultivate those feelings. Yes. So it's very similar to how a lot of times when you hear someone's testimony about how they became a Christian, they talk about how God just put them in such an agony of soul. They didn't want to come to Jesus. They delayed. They made excuses. And so they talk about how there was an increase of distress that they felt before they finally came to Christ. So none of that distress was necessary in and of itself, but it was necessary because the sinner was so unwilling to come to Christ. So in a similar way, the reason why God puts this burden of feeling on us is because without that burden, we won't prevail in prayer. We're It's our duty to prevail in prayer, but the fact is that we tend to be lazy, we tend to be distracted, and so we need this, because of our own wicked hearts, we need this movement from God so and that will pray correctly. And many of you are going to have a hard time understanding what Alexandra just said, because you never felt that burden of sin when you became a Christian. You were invited to come forward and say a little sinner's prayer and receive Jesus and all of the benefits that Jesus supposedly is prepared to give you. And so there was never a great burden of, what are my sins? And can I be saved? I'm hellbound. Yes, so to be clear, the, the physical effects that we may feel from this kind of praying, that isn't virtuous in and of itself. So let me give you an example. Uh, there was a man named Father Nash who would often pray for Charles Finney during Charles Finney's ministry. The man actually died praying, but this man, he would have very strong physical experiences when he prayed. He might be covered in sweat in the dead of winter when it was really cold. His nose might start bleeding. Other people have shaken. They have had trouble breathing. 
There's different things that happen to different people, but that's because of the intensity of their feelings. So and, and the intensity of their prayer. Yes. So don't get confused and think, oh well, I have to try to like work up some kind of, you know, intense emotional experience, or I have to make myself have trouble breathing. That's not what we're saying. We're saying when your mind is really focused on the danger of sinners and on the love of God for them, that that will produce feelings that often will result in strong physical experiences. Yes. So that's not, those those physical experiences aren't essential to prayer, but they're the, the natural result of having those great feelings and great efforts of your mind. The most obvious example in scripture is when Jacob wrestled with God. It says that his hip was permanently damaged. So that wasn't because he was physically in a fight with an angel, but that is showing the great mental distress that he went through in prayer actually physically affected his body. You know, I'm not sure that's true. I think the scriptures say that the angel of God, Jesus pre-incarnate, touched his hip and threw it out of joint. When you deal with God, it's not just your mind, it's not just your emotions, you're dealing with a real person. And the travail of Jacob was because his brother was coming with 400 soldiers, armed men, and he knew he deserved retribution. And he was terrified. And so he engaged God in prayer to deliver him. That's an example of prevailing prayer in scripture. And travail. There's a few more reasons why God requires this kind of agony of soul that I wanted to talk about. Another reason, which we've kind of alluded to already, is this kind of prayer forms a beautiful bond between Christ and the church. It's so it's as if Jesus came and he's actually pouring out his heart into our hearts. And so we sympathize, we cooperate, we have the compassion of Jesus in our hearts. And this also makes us effective when we do speak to the lost because we're not just sharing some intellectual belief, but they can see when we talk to them that we actually have this compassion and warmth in our hearts and that we mean what we say. But I want to identify a factor here. I have heard people pray with great passion to God on behalf of a sinner. And they tell God all of the reasons why he should have compassion on this sinner, but never mention the fact that this sinner is in the wrong, is dishonoring God, and must repent. And so it's almost as though the Christian is taking the part of the sinner against a holy and righteous God. We can't do that. Yes, and if you've actually had to forgive someone who did something really horrible to you, you'll understand this because the first step in forgiving someone is to actually admit that what they did to you was wrong. So you wouldn't have to forgive them if they didn't actually wrong you. So they did do something wrong, and they do deserve some kind of, you know, penalty. 
but you're choosing to forgive them you're choosing not to go after them you're choosing to let it go and so that's one way that we can understand what it's like with the compassion that Christ feels for a sinner it they they do deserve hell it's it's not just some horrible place that oh they're gonna fall into by accident like they actually deserve the just wrath of God because of their sins but that doesn't negate the compassion that Christ feels for them it says in Ezekiel that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked and that's why he sent his son to die on their behalf so there's a balance there and so that crying out to God for me means I'm going to ask the Lord to deal with this person in such a way as to utterly uncover their sin and cause them to turn in hatred toward their sin and repent of that sin. I'm not going to try to convince God to have mercy on a sinner who will not repent. Does yes. that make sense? Well, yes. You can't forgive someone who doesn't repent. It's it's morally impossible. So I can't appeal to God's mercy to be kind to a sinner who deserves death, except the kindness of God leads a man to repent. So another reason why this strength of feeling is necessary is it creates a bond of union between the Christians who've been praying and the new converts. Yes. So the Apostle Paul expresses this very beautifully in the book of Galatians. He says, my little children. So you see his heart was so warm and tender. He actually felt like these converts were his children. He says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again. So the Galatians had backslidden and Paul was feeling all the agonies of a parent over a wandering child. Christ also expressed this agony when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as a result, those who are converted actually seem like dear children to us. And so we're able to love them and nurture them and be very gentle and patient with them in a way that we wouldn't be if we hadn't been in this agony of soul. You know, there's another reason. Sometimes... If God answers a prayer very quickly, without travail, we become proud, puffed up. Oh, God answered my prayer. I'm someone special. Travail humbles our hearts, and we recognize that we've utterly come to the end of our ability. We confess we have no power to bring about the necessary change in a person's life or even in our own life. We've come to the end. And from that place of utter humility, we cry out to God. And in that place of humility, God answers our prayer. Yes, another way of saying it is that the process of, of travailing in prayer actually humbles our heart. Uh, and so we end up being humbled by the praying process so that God can give us the blessing that he's always wanted to give us without it hurting us. Because if he just gave it to us, we would become proud. Um, we wouldn't be holy, but we would be in sin, really, if God were to just give us whatever we wanted at the drop of a hat. One, of the, one of the old timers 
Guy Bevington, uh, who wrote The Little Miracles. Uh, remarkable sp- miracles. Remarkable miracles. He wrote about this, and he said, always God would put him on the lathe. Always God would deal with his agenda first. And after God had dealt with his agenda of getting Bevington small enough on the wood lathe, chipped down small enough, then finally God would answer his prayer and would move in power for the life of another. That's what we're talking about. Yes. And when I come to God with an intercession, my experience is always he wants to deal with me first. And he does that through this agonizing prayer. So should we dive into the prayer of faith, or did you want to open the phone lines? Well, we have a few minutes. Let's open the phone lines. Uh, Do you have any comments you'd like to share? Has this been helpful? And what we're doing over these last weeks as we've talked about prayer, do you have any questions you'd like to ask us? If you do, would you call right now? 877 534-0780 that's 877-534-0780 and again if you're just joining us we've been sharing this past week and this week about the fact that revivals can be prayed down and how do we actually do that and what we're looking at now is specifically what it means to prevail in prayer the prayer of faith. So we intend for this to be very practical, helpful information because if each of you listening, there's probably at least a hundred churches represented by the listening audience right now. So if each of you listening would take this to heart and would say, yes, I'm going to meet the conditions and I'm going to pray until God answers for revival. I don't care if it takes three months. I don't care if it takes six months. I don't care if it takes years. I'm going to pray until God answers. Well, you would see revival in your church. So we would see revival in all hundred churches, say, that are represented by this broadcast. So that's our heart for you. Now, to tell you how serious we are, we've set aside a minimum of one hour a day where Alexandra and I go before the Lord as a couple to pray for revival. We then meet with other brothers and sisters to pray for revival. This is the whole focus of our heart. We're not going to back away from the upper room until the Lord answers our cry because the scriptures are very plain that we're in line with the will of God. So do you have some thoughts? Do you have a a prayer request? Can we pray for you? Call quickly, 877-534-0780. And let me just give you our webpage where you can listen to all of these broadcasts again that I've just described about revival. That's nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. You know, I find, Alexandra, that many people do not pray very much because they don't feel the need to pray very much. We usually only pray when there's a need, unless it's a polite little superficial prayer. 
Well, the fact is that there's a great need because pretty much everyone who you see around you is utterly lost. Utterly lost. That's terrifying. Yes. And I've been waking up in the morning and I've been seeing precious friends. As I look at them in my spirit, I'm seeing them behind a wall of flame. And I'm saying, Lord, have mercy on them. Save them for your name's sake. Cause them to repent. We need, look, let's just put it straight. We need God to come down and take a hold of people's hearts in this Washington metro area. Yes, because if any of you listening to this have ever endeavored to pray for someone's salvation, you've probably discovered that you pray a lot just for one person. But we need many people to come to Jesus in a short period of time. Brother Kevin, you said someone was here. I couldn't hear you. Okay, put Sherry on. Welcome, Sherry. What would you like to ask? Yes, I would like to ask about a husband and wife. Um, I had read or heard that the wife sanctifies the husband and the husband sanctifies the wife, and I wanted to know how that works because um, I just recently loved, lost my husband, and he and I, did, we used to belong to the same church, but we changed you know, I went to a different church, and he was in another church, and he hadn't been really an active member. So yes. I was just wondering how does that work as you know, far as his salvation? You know what? I can't answer that. That is a very difficult and hard-to-understand passage that a husband is sanctified by his godly wife or vice versa. But I can tell you this. Jesus knows, and Jesus' heart is filled with compassion. I would just add, I believe the context of that passage is because it sa the next part is it says, because otherwise their children would be unholy. So I don't think that it's an accurate reading to interpret that passage as saying that, well, if my wife is right with Jesus and I'm not, then I'll still be saved. The scripture is very clear that we will each be judged by our own works. And so we do each need to come to Jesus with our own personal repentance and our own personal new birth. You know, I can't repent for somebody else. Right, right, that's true. But Sherry, we trust Jesus and put your husband in the hands of Jesus and just trust him. Because right now, you well, can't... Well, my husband has passed away. He's gone. You can't influence that decision. That's Jesus' decision now. Now, yes. did, did you have something we could pray for you about? Yes, just pray for me because it just happened and, you know, I have to travel and bury my husband and you know, I'm just, you know, this was a sudden thing, so just pray my strength in the Lord, because I really have to really hold on to God now. Yeah. When, did you, so. when did you lose your husband? On April the 6th. Wow. I'm so, sorry to hear that. It's still very raw, isn't it? Very much so. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
this precious sister has lost her mate and her heart is broken I understand I've been through this and it seems that the world just turns upside down so Lord I ask you to come with comfort and with good cheer Lord I pray that you will bless her in your presence that you Jesus will be enough for her now to carry her safely through this and Lord I thank you that she loves you and that she knows she needs you and Lord I pray that as she cries out to you you will order her steps that you will now become her husband that you will give her wisdom and understanding and surround her with people who love her Lord thank you would you bless Sherry today in your mighty name Father God, I also ask that you would give Sherry a spirit of prayer, Lord, that even as she's going through this difficult pain, Lord, I ask that you would guide her mind, Lord, so that she would have peace with you. Lord, I imagine that she might have regrets about things that she didn't say or didn't do while her husband was alive. So, Lord, I ask that you'd give her the grace to get through all that in the prayer closet with you and that you would then get a real hold of her, Lord, that as it says in Ephesians, that she would redeem the time and be a, a glorious soul winner for you. Lord, that all of the sorrow that she's experiencing now from the death of her husband, that it would be replaced with great joy as she sees many men and women and children brought into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God Amen. Bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you, Sherry. I'm glad you're listening. God bless you. Bye -bye. God bless you, too. Have a blessed day. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. Anyone else want to call? Do you have a question? Uh, how can we be helpful to you? We want you to know how and be willing to travail in prayer for revival in Washington, D.C. And it in is, your church. And in your church. In your life. Um, I am crying out to God for the full Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit for my life. I don't know of anyone in America. There may be, but I don't know of any person in America who has received this full baptism. China, yes. Other nations, Nigeria, yes. But in America, this has to break. We have to come into a place with the Holy Spirit of absolute submission and learn how to travail before him. Or the church in America is lost. Again, our phone number is 877 Five three four zero seven eight zero, and we only have a few minutes left. So if you're thinking of calling, call right now, or we won't be able to take your call. It's eight seven seven five three four zero seven eight zero. Now, part of what happens is when a person travails in any travail of heart, the burden continues to grow. Until finally, 
and we're going to speak about this tomorrow, the promise that you're standing on becomes so real to you that you finally roll that burden over onto Jesus and an absolute sweet rest and assurance comes into your heart and you know you've been heard. And now instead of travailing, you rejoice because you know your prayer has been heard. Okay, let's take, were you going to put her on? Yep, put her on. Hi, sister. Hello, um, I just wanted to ask a quick question. Why, um, why are you praying so much for revival as opposed to revelation to come to the church? Okay, I can answer that very quickly. We don't have but a few seconds. Okay. Jesus Christ gave us a full revelation of himself on the cross. The revelation is all there in the scripture. All we have to do is read it and pray. We don't need more than what Jesus is willing to give us. The problem is we don't have the Holy Spirit and power. And so we can't understand and we can't get through and we're not walking in obedience and there's sin in the church. Yes, we if we're not walking in obedience with the revelation that we already have, it's not useful to have more revelation. So, this, so this is not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's humility. It's coming into obedience to Jesus. And we have the revelation of the cross to bring us to that place of abject sorrow over our sin and the sin of our brothers and sisters that we need to be praying for for revival i'm almost at a point of saying we don't need revival we need just resurrection in the church because pretty much things are dead if you take away the that was exactly my question because a lot of what you've said on your program is that the churches are dead basically the majority so i was wondering do you really want to revive that or something different No, I want to revive a a godliness in their heart. And when God comes down, he does that. When God comes down and he grabs the heart, those words that they have thrown away are now piercing their heart like red hot arrows. And And there's great confession. And great joy. And and then after the confession and the change, great joy. And great power. You know what? I wish we had time to talk with you. You have a great understanding of what God is about to do. So we're out of time, but God bless you, sister. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Brother Kevin, we have how long? Okay, put Linda on real quick. Hi, Linda. I um, I I I have a problem with a uh, secret sin uh, that I do alone by myself inside my mind with my imagination, and uh, I prayed many times uh, that God would help me overcome it. And I go periods of time when I think I got the victory, you know, when I'm not beset with it. But just when I start to really get into prayer and get into the Word, get into studying the Bible, 
seems like it creeps right back up on me, sneaks up on me even in the middle of the night. And um, I repent okay. afterwards, Linda, but I still... Linda, hmm? Linda, we're out hmm? of time, but I'm going to pray real quick. Okay. I bind that sin that is so tempting to Linda's heart, and I ask Jesus that you would cause her to hate it, because right now she still has love for it. I ask you to plant hatred in her heart for that secret sin. And then, Jesus, I ask that she would release it to you and that it would be done. I'm asking, Lord, for that supernatural work of your spirit to deliver her. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Thank Linda. You. Tell you. me, call back and let me know what happens. I know you have the victory. Thank you. Okay, we're out of time today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 